Um, so uh, I know this is this will be hard for all of us to get through um, today, and um, so we'll just we're gonna do this together as a family. And I'm so thankful to be with you guys. Um, I say that every week, and I mean it every week. Um, but um, you know, last week I shared with you guys the news about my dad, and now this with Brittany and. Um, I've gotten so much comfort from being here with you guys on Sunday, singing songs, uh, being reminded of God's words. Uh, you guys know uh, I don't just preach to you when I'm up here. I'm preaching to me. Uh, and so I, I need this too um, when I'm preparing and when I'm preaching. And um, it's just it's brought so much comfort and uh, just help for my soul to see your faces and to hear your voices and uh, your hugs, everything, uh, your emails, text messages, um, all those things. And um, I want to start before I jump into actually, you know, what I want to share from God's word. Um, I'll, I'll give, you know, you guys a little bit of, uh, just to, just share with you a few things that were gifts from the Lord, uh, particularly yesterday. Um, I shared some of this in the email, but there's, there's a little bit more uh, that I didn't have the energy to type out. But um, you know, the last four days, well, she was, she went in the hospital on Tuesday, and um, um, I think I was, I didn't go down Tuesday, but I was down there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and at the house Saturday, and um, I was able to see her um, uh, most of those days, I think, except for one, and um, and it was the first time when I saw her on Wednesday, you know, she was she wasn't, um, you know, she wasn't awake. She wasn't awake pretty much from Wednesday to uh, when she passed away. And, but when I saw her on Wednesday, she was in the hospital room and breathing, you know, shallow, um, kind of heavy. And it was the first time to me that she looked like a cancer patient. Because, <laughs> man, she did that bald head so good. <laughs> you know, and uh, whenever we saw her church, you know, we saw her on her good days. We didn't see, you know, what Travis saw when she wasn't around, what Cherry and David and the kids saw. Uh, we saw her when she was good. And so um, when I saw her laying in the bed and, um, and you know, not awake and everything, um, and, and she just, and she did, she looked different, you know. Um, it didn't really look like her. Uh, it was surreal. I kept kind of staring at her thinking, is that really her? It doesn't even, it looks like a not very good look-alike or a stunt double or something just didn't look like her, you know? And, and then um, two days later when I was in there again, um, some things had happened with her body that uh, was starting to really affect her, her body. And uh, she was, you know, her stomach was distended and um, she was getting puffy and, and she looked even less like her. And, um, you know, uh, Travis really fought to get her home. Um, and, uh, and he did. He did well. I know a lot of you guys saw him um, up close throughout the last few months. Um, and if he did, you were in awe of the, uh, the man that God has been making him into. And the husband that... Uh, he became, and the way he led her up to the very end. And um, he fought to get her home, and he got her home, and 
you know, um, we had some conflicting reports, you know, one to three months um, at the hospital that gave us sort of like this, okay, well, we have, we have some time, some hope that, you know, she would kind of wake back up, be able to enjoy, you know, time with her kids, all these things. And, um, and then, you know, got her home and um, the, the hospice nurse, you know, who's, you know, sees this all the time, uh, just said, I, I don't agree with that. Um, it's probably hours to days. And um, by this time, I think there's already a group of folks that were just kind of gathering uh, outside on the lawn. And um, we were there the night before on the lawn, too, till pretty late. And, but anyway, just kind of fast forwarding a little bit. Um, as we, uh, at first, you know, we were, uh, the, the nurse was saying, you know, low, low stimulation, just, you know, a couple visits at a time, no talking. And so we were really trying to do that. Um, so we'd go in and I would just be whispering and, and um, you know, when I read a scripture, uh, I didn't really read it over her, uh, but I read it to David and Travis and just was really trying to keep her comfortable. Um, and again, as she laid there, she just didn't quite look like herself. Um, so it was very, you know, surreal. And, um, and then after a little bit of time, after a few hours, it, it just kind of became a little apparent that she was, she was declining. So at that point, um, the family just kind of, you know, let people come in and see her, um, but didn't ask anyone to leave and rotate out, and eventually the room was just filled, probably with about 40 people, 30, 40 people. And at this point, we just, we started singing songs. And um, Sarah went to her house, grabbed a guitar for me, Matt and I were there singing a cappella, and we just started singing songs, Um, a lot of, a lot of Britney songs. and uh, then kind of towards the end, um, and we, we had a couple, you know, some people shared some things. We did the little say-so like we did during You Shelter Me, and, um, and there's a couple uh, things that were shared that were just, you know, awesome kind of uh, Britney stories, and um, so we had a few laughs at kind of her expense a little bit. I'm sure she got a kick out of that, but um, just enjoying some of, uh, you know, her her personality, and um, so then towards the end, um, uh, Kellen asked to play, asked me to play My Lighthouse, and just one of their favorite songs, uh, one of Braley's favorite songs, and um, so we played that, and, uh, and I think maybe, maybe one more song, I can't remember, but about that time, it was 12.30, and um, it was getting really hot in the room, obviously, with that many people in a small little room, but um, so I just... Um, I told Travis, you know, if you guys want some time as a family, um, just to kind of be alone, have lunch alone in here with Brittany, uh, we can kind of just go outside, go grab lunch, hang out on the lawn, whatever, but just kind of give you guys a little space. And if you want us to come back in later, great. Um, if not, great. But, uh, you know, it, um, it was just, it was a good time to do that. It was 1230 and, uh, you know, everyone, they needed to eat and everything. So, um, so I read a scripture, um, read Psalm 139. And, um, and then prayed, and then just kind of, we, I just dismissed everyone uh, from out of the room. And so I went out, and I just, uh, I kind of made myself a little plate of food. I sat down, I took three bites, and her brother Glenn came out. And, uh, and by the way, whoever said uh, about her giving the best hugs, that runs in the family. I'll just have you know, okay? Uh, because I can tell you that David and her brother Glenn give the best hugs, and uh, so that is, that is a Henry thing. Somehow they are able to pull off the most amazing hugs. And so Glenn came out and he just had this look, you know, on his face and he just said, you need to come back in here. She's going now. 
or she's going fast. And I just, I, you know, put my plate down. I rushed in and within the 10 seconds it took me, not even 10 seconds, five seconds, I got in there and she was taking her last breath. And um, I thought my wife was already in there and she wasn't, so I ran back out. I called her in and, um, and we just sat there and I was just like in disbelief, like, are you, are you sure, you know? And, and, um, and Travis had already taken her pulse and everything. And, and <laughs> what had happened is right before she passed, she, she opened her eyes nice and wide. And uh, you know, she wasn't looking at anybody but just kind of looking out and just got these wide eyes and then closed her eyes and took her last breaths. And then the most amazing thing happened. She passed away with a smile on her face. She hadn't smiled in days and, you know, the whole time that I'd seen her the last few days, she looked frustrated, agitated, uncomfortable, just, she didn't look like her, and she just laid there. And then she looked like herself again. It was crazy. It's like I, I finally saw her. She's, there she is. And, um, I mean, it was, it was bizarre just because for those three or four days, I just, it was hard for me to see her likeness in that body, and then suddenly she became Brittany again. And the word that came to mind, the look on her face, church, she just, she looked satisfied. It looked like she had looked at the life that God had given her, and, and though I know she wanted more time, um, her face really just kind of said it all. She was satisfied. She was thankful and grateful and uh, even more satisfied with where she is now. And um, I don't know. I, it was... I went outside and right after that and um, just to get fresh air and then it just started raining and um, anyway I just my mind's all over the place right now so um, and I know I'm, there's a lot of things I want to say today and that I'm not going to be able to say because I'm going to forget them so um, but I just want to thank all of you um, for myself personally um, but also for the Radfords and the Henrys um, your care and support and love over these last nine months or whatever it's been, particularly these last few days, um, has not gone unnoticed. And um, they need your continued prayers and care and comfort. Um, as um, Travis's uh, sister-in-law, Yvette, asked me afterwards uh, when I was outside, um, she, she's, she asked What's next? And I, I said, I don't, I don't know. Um, but church, I do know that what is next is, is a lot of prayer. Um, we need to be doing a lot of praying for them. Um, and the Lord is going to guide us into what is next. And that's actually kind of what I wanted to share a little bit about this morning as we are going into this. Um, you know, this will be a little bit of a different, you know, shorter sermon here because of just uh, the, the nature of the morning. But um, as I was thinking about what to 
say today uh, what this day would look like. My mind just swirled as it's even swirling right now because the last five days have just been overwhelmingly exhausting and depleting in every single way. Um, I got home yesterday around uh, 6 p.m. and I just, I crashed. Uh, my wife woke me up around 8 o'clock. I mean, I was just in a hard sleep. Um, so finally about 9.45 last night, I finally sat down to prepare for today. Now that's, uh, that's not ideal, but sometimes that's just how it is. Uh, of course, I had a, a different sermon being prepared, but that was Tuesday. And Tuesday right now just feels like forever ago. There's a certain truth about sermons, um, at least what, a truth about what sermons should be. Sermons aren't actually prepared in a week's time. That's, that's false. Uh, even if a pastor sits down on Monday and begins, the sermon doesn't actually begin prep on Monday or the last minute, like last night when I sat down at 9.45, um, this sermon wasn't prepared in just an hour's time. That's not how sermons work. Though they feel that way to a pastor, but the reality is that the Lord calls every Christian, as well as preachers, to be ready in season and out of season. And so a sermon that I prepare hastily in circumstances like this never is the product of a day's thoughts or study, but it's a product of months and years and decades of truth that has formed the Christian's heart and mind. Years of God's faithfulness and goodness and scriptures, years of storing God's word in our hearts. And when that in-the-moment circumstance presents itself, whether it's a sermon or a situation like this, the Holy Spirit opens up that file cabinet in our hearts and draws out those truths for those moments that are upon us. And just like a 10 o'clock on Saturday night sermon like this one, we all need this very exact same thing for us, but not for a sermon. We need this now for suffering. Our hearts and lives have come under attack from the enemy called death. And though today already is different than every other Sunday, we are still going to take communion together. We're going to hear God's word preached and we're going to sing together. As I mentioned earlier, before we began singing, if we don't do that today, Brittany's going to be mad. And so somehow we come here and we give God thanks. So I want to, I want to pray. I want to open up God's word. And I want us to worship the Lord as we hear his word. Father, we are humbled that we knew such a beautiful woman, beautiful sister, the countless ways she blessed us. And even as we get into your word, we're going to see, we're going to be reminded the, the reason she blessed us is because you blessed her. You gave her many good gifts, and she was not selfish in keeping them to herself. She shared them with us. And we now, we need the encouragement of your word. We need hope. We need your guidance as we take one step at a time, one minute at a time. We don't feel prepared for the coming days and weeks and months ahead, but your word reminds us that you have prepared us, even though it doesn't feel that way. You're going to give us the words, the actions, 
in season and out because we're yours. So Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, not just today for the sermon, but in the coming hours and weeks. Help us, help the Radfords, help the Henrys. Bless them. Uphold them. Reveal your love to them. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a woman uh, named Corey Tenboom who was a Dutch Christian in the early 20th century. During um, World War II, she and her sister, Betsy, and her dad uh, would help Jews escape the Nazis by hiding them uh, in their home. Uh, eventually, the family was caught, and uh, those three, her and her sister and her dad, were sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp, uh, which was a very notorious concentration camp. Her father died just 10 days later in that camp, and she and Betsy, though, went on to smuggle a Bible into the camp and hold secret worship gatherings, seeing many come to Christ at those concentration camps. As Betsy, her sister, at age eventually 59, couldn't keep up with the hard labor, this is a woman's camp, the hard labor of the concentration camp, and she was laying dying on her deathbed. She said something to her sister Corey that would end up being an enduring quote that is now actually attributed to Corey, one you've maybe even heard before, but this was actually Betsy, her sister, that said this. Her sister Betsy, on the day that she died, said to Corey, there is no pit so deep where Christ is not deeper still. Her sister died that day, and only 12 days later, Corey was released from the camp by mistake. A clerical error. She was not supposed to be released. By God's sovereignty, she was. One week after that, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chamber. Now, how does someone like Corey begin to become this kind of person who is in this camp, sees her father die, but still endures and has a Bible smuggled in and leads people to Christ and goes on to minister the gospel for the rest of her life? She died, I think, 1983 or 1984. How does this happen? Someone who can endure such heartache and injustice and tragedy and pain and sorrow and hopelessness, how does she, how does she keep going? How does she, as we sang earlier, how does she keep hope alive in her life? And I can tell you that it was not in the moment. It wasn't just right then, ah, I'm just gonna keep going. She didn't just muster this up out of nowhere. When she was a little girl, she witnessed the death of a young baby and in fear, as a little child herself, she declared to her father she was afraid of ever losing him and didn't know what she would do. How could I go on if I lose you, Daddy? And so Corey tells the story. She says, Father sat down on the edge of the narrow bed and he said, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? She says, I sniffed a few times and I thought about it and I said, Well, right before we get on the train. And he said, exactly, and when our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things, he'll give it to us in that moment. Corey, don't run out ahead of him. When the time comes, he says, that some of us will have to die, you'll look into your heart and find the strength of Christ that you need just in time. Today, church, we are unprepared for this sorrow. We don't know what tomorrow brings. 
or even this afternoon for that matter. And as I was sitting outside, as I mentioned, and Yvette, uh, Brittany's sister-in-law, asked, what's next? And I just, I said, I, I don't know. And just like how I had no idea last night what I was going to say today, even at 10 o'clock, with this much bigger and scarier circumstance that we face, we have no idea what is next. But just in the same way, how whatever I'm going to say today wasn't truly just thrown together last night. That's just not how it works because what I'm sharing today comes from years of knowing God's faithfulness and God's word. And with Brittany's death, we have no idea what is next, how to process, how to pick ourselves up, how to pick others up, how to grieve, how to help. We don't know. But God, our Father, will give us our boarding pass right when we need it. He's been working in all of our hearts as a church family. And he's been working in the Radford family's hearts and the Henry family's hearts. He's been working in them, building and strengthening us as a church family. And we have Brittany to thank for a lot of that. And though we've never taken a course on how to grieve, and nothing earthly can prepare us for this, we do know that God has been preparing us for this behind closed doors, holding that train ticket for us, and He will give it to us at just the right time. He'll go into your heart and He'll bring out a, a truth or a scripture that you've long forgotten, or one that you memorized and thought, oh, that's a cute scripture, and all of a sudden, that scripture makes sense to you. You hear a certain truth being preached or in a devotional, and maybe you've read it a hundred times, and it's just kind of blank to you. You go, okay, yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I know that. But all of a sudden, it just hits you. Is that what that means? That's, that's what that means. I was uh, reading a text message from Brittany last night that I got from her a few months ago, and uh, she said that... Um, she remembered she was, she was preaching to me, <laughs> and um, she knew that I'd said this before, and she said, you need to stare at the glory of God until you see it. And church, we've seen God's glory. We've seen God's glory in his word. We know his truth, his promises, but sometimes in times like this, you just don't see it. And um, it's in these moments you just have to keep staring. You keep staring at the promises of God, the Word of God, even when it's just darkness and you don't see anything, but you stare until you see it. You stare until God gives you that boarding pass. Now, as we look specifically um, at God's Word, now, there's a lot of varying scriptures that we could look at today that could bring us comfort and hope, but to be honest, I considered what I thought maybe Brittany would even like. And as we mentioned yesterday in the room and also this morning in our say-so, she, she loved the Word of God. So I know really any scripture that I could read right now would make her very happy. But what she really loved is when the Word of God was preached also in our church, and what she really loved was just she loved our church. And so I thought, well... I'm just going to go right into the next couple verses of John 17 because if I chose some special verses just for her, she'd be so annoyed at me. She, you, you, can, you, can, you can hear it, right? Show me. <laughs> this is not about me. It's about Jesus. Knock it off. 
You, you can hear it. You can see it. She would be rolling her neck at me. <laughs> so uh, as I, I read through these verses, uh, it'll be a little different. I'm not going to give like background and all that kind of stuff. So we're just going to be looking at a couple verses here next week. We're going to be back in these verses and we'll, it'll be a little more traditional as far as just kind of giving more of the context and background. But I just want to draw out some things that we can apply to ourselves for ourselves this morning uh, in John chapter 17, verses 6 through 8. This is Jesus. Again, it is the, just moments before he's going to be arrested. And um, just a few hours before he's going to die on the cross. And as he's praying to his father, he says in verse 6, Father, I've manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And so here, just before he dies, he prays to his father, I have made your name known to the people that you gave to me out of the world. Yours they were, but father, you gave these people to me. Now church... We know that Brittany is in heaven today, not because she was a great mother and wife, not because she gave the greatest hugs, not because of all the amazing things that we heard about her today, not because she led us in worship and had this amazing voice, brought joy to our face. That's not why she's in heaven today. It's not because she loved reading the Bible so much. She's in heaven today because she is the Father's. She's in heaven not because of what she's done, but because Jesus made God known to her. God the Father, before Brittany was born, God the Father went to his son and said, Son, I'm sending you to the world so you can save some of those who are in the world. These people are sinners. They're enemies. But I want you to go rescue them. And one of them, her name is Brittany Radford. Right now, as it stands, she's an enemy of mine. She sinned against me. But I've chosen her before the foundation of the earth to be mine. And I want you to go and save her and rescue her so that I can adopt her as my daughter. She's mine, but I'm giving her to you now that you would go and you would reveal me to her, reveal my love to her, reveal my love by you dying on the cross for her and making a way for her salvation. I'm giving her to you now, my son. Go and save her. And so here now we have Jesus in John 17 in the temple, moments away from being arrested. And he says this again back in verse 6. And I'm going to personalize this now. And I'd encourage you to do this even for yourself with your own name, but I'm going to personalize this. Jesus essentially says, I have made your name, Father, known to Brittany, whom you gave me out of the world. She was yours, and you gave her to me. And now look what he says next. He says, she was yours, and you gave her to me. And she's kept your word. Jesus says to the Father, they have kept your word. Church, Brittany kept God's word. We know that she's in the Father's house now because she showed that with her life. 
We know that she was the father's because she showed that. She didn't earn her salvation, but she did receive it. In the next sentence, Jesus says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, speaking of his people, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. In this whole little section here, the, the actionable items are all on Jesus and the Father. Father, you gave them to me. I gave them your word. The work of salvation is done by God alone. We don't save ourselves. He does the saving. We do the receiving. Think about this. Think about a child holding his father's hand, walking by a very busy road. Is it the strength of the child's hands? Or is it the strength of the father's grip that keeps that child from running into the street? Certainly not the child. But it's that father's grip on his son, on his daughter. That's what keeps that child safe and in the father's arms. Jesus says, Father, you gave them to me and they are mine now. And I gave them your word and they have kept your word. We saw earlier in John chapter 10, verse 29, when speaking of his people, he's calling us his sheep. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They've not earned or deserved or anything. I gave them. I give them to this. This is mine to give, and I've given it to them, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me. We're seeing the same language here, all the way back in chapter 10. My Father who has given them to me. He is greater than all. He's stronger than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Church, Brittany blessed us because God blessed Brittany. What we saw in Brittany was actually Christ in and through Brittany. She was his and she still is his. So looking back at verse 6 in John 17, I've manifested your name to Brittany. I've made your name known to Travis, to Joby, to David and Sherry, and all of whom, all of whom you gave me out of the world. It says, Brittany was yours. Katie was yours, Chandra was yours, Lindsay, Brandon. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. And now, and especially now, that he's speaking of disciples who are still yet alive, <clears throat> but now she knows, and you know, that everything that you, Father, have given me is from you. I've given her the words that you gave me, and she's received them. And she's come to know in truth that I came from you, and she has believed that you sent me. Brittany's salvation is rooted in the love of Christ and the fact that he completed the work given to him from his Father. And she believed in that work. 
She believed in that word that was given to her and believed that she belonged to Jesus because the Father gave her to him. I was looking back at um, another text message and uh, it was my wife, me, and uh, Travis and Brittany. And this was after the, uh, the same day, March 21st, when we had some extended time of music and we prayed for them, <clears throat> played a lot of music there and we were kind of texting back and forth and just kind of reveling in the, the beauty of the day. And uh, I told her that on the way home from that day, my son said that he was so glad and amazed that she just kept singing. And, um, and, so, and he was so glad and amazed that no one wanted to leave. We just stayed there. And then I told her uh, that my mom had also texted me and said that she and my dad were watching from home and uh, it even made my dad cry as he watched her sing through her pain and through this tragedy. And then she texted back and she said, it made your dad cry? She said, Father God, use me and this trial to make your glory known in the lives of our loved ones. And God has done that, church, and he's going to continue to do that. Joshua 3 tells a story uh, this Wednesday's my 20th anniversary with my wife. And um, I ran across this verse um, 20 years ago. First time I remember this verse, this ended up being on the program for our, our wedding. It's from Joshua 3. It tells a story about when God's people were about to cross the Jordan before crossing into the promised land. And the priest went through the camp of the people and they said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant being lifted up, the Ark of the Covenant had God's presence dwelling inside. This is what the people depended on. So when you see the, the priest lift up the Ark of the Covenant, it's lifted up and carried by them, get up and start following. And then it says, and you will know which way to go even though you've never been this way before. Church, we have not been here before. We're not prepared for this. We don't know how to get through the next days and weeks. We don't feel at all prepared for this. We don't know what is next or how we're going to do it. We don't know which way to go, but God our Father will give us that boarding pass just when we need it. And though we don't have the Ark of the Covenant being carried by a priest, we have something greater that goes before us. We have His presence, not confined to an Ark, but we have His Spirit that now dwells inside of us. You are the temple of the living God. We have his spirit, we have his word, and we have his people who lift our arms and lead us step by step. So though we don't know which way to go in the coming hours and weeks, God will lead us. He will lead us. We'll be walking in darkness and fear and confusion and all these crazy emotions and it's going to hit us in so many different ways at different times but in that moment because we're his because no one can snatch us from his hands in that moment God is going to give us what we need 
I want to close now reading Psalm 77, because this was uh, on that same day, March 21st, um, Travis read Psalm 77 before we went into a time of um, just more music. And we're going to be doing that today, too, so as we close up the service, um, you don't have to leave, because we're going to keep singing. Uh, But I want to read Psalm 77, and then I'll pray. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out with wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I just, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit just faints. You hold my eyelids open. The psalmist can't even sleep at night. This is a man, Asaph, who just is walking in darkness. He doesn't know what is next. He can't even sleep. He says to the Lord, you hold my eyelids open. I'm I'm so troubled, I can't even speak. I consider the days of old, the, the years long ago, the good old days, And I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let, me, let some good things come to my mind. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. My spirit said, will the Lord spurn me forever and never again be favorable towards me? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious Has he in anger shut up his compassion? But then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Church, let me just tell you that cancer and death are afraid of the living God. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path is through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. We cannot see and know what is next, what God is doing, where he's at sometimes. We don't see his footprints, but we know that he's there. We know that he's gone before us because we're his. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let's pray.
Father, I I thank you for your grace towards us. Your strength that so often seems so distant. When we can't seem to lift our eyes to the heavens. When we don't see your footprints. When we can't sleep at night. When fear and doubt and darkness just overwhelms us. and fills our hearts. fills our minds. Clouds us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us in those moments that your spirit who lives inside of us, we who are your temple, that your spirit would sustain us even in the final just second and moment when we need it. You, he gives us that, that boarding pass that we need right in that moment. We, we can't see tomorrow. We don't know what's next. We don't know how we're going to get through the next event or this or that. We, we think about all the, the coming things. I, the, the holidays, all those things that are coming and we don't know how we're going to get through those things. The Radfords and the Henrys don't know how they're going to get through those things. But those worries aren't for today. You will give them the strength in that moment. But it's not a strength that just magically appears. You, you've been preparing them in their hearts. You've been teaching them your word and your promises that seem so distant right now, but your spirit knows exactly where they're at hidden in their hearts. And so we trust you that as you go before us, we can get up and we can walk and follow you. We can follow your word and your promises. Even though we stare at them, we don't quite see your glory, but we know we can follow them and we will know which way to go even though we've never been there before. We're going into uncharted waters, and your way is through the sea. We're going to miss Brittany so much. But she's yours, and we rejoice knowing that we will see her again. We will hug her again. I rejoice knowing that I'm going to sing with her again. Help us, Lord, to trust and fall upon your goodness and your promises, especially when we just can't see them. We don't understand. You're a good God, faithful to us. No one will snatch us out of your hands. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your word and keeping us faithful to your word. By your strength, by the grip of your hand, you keep us. We thank you. We love you. And we thank you for giving us our sister. In Jesus' name.